The Potential Candidate is a podcast about life after divorce, taking accountability, and transforming your life for the better. On this journey, listeners will hear from men and women about their path to foster meaningful relationships. We will share successful dating tips, relive epic horror stories, and leave you with powerful mantras to help you further manifest your goals. This podcast is for the person seeking clarity. Are you ready for the glow up? Are you ready to bounce back? Are you the potential candidate? girl Jess and it's Tiffany and this is the potential candidate this week's mantra I love myself I love who I am I am not waiting for anyone to validate me or give me permission to be who I was born to be everything starts with how I feel about myself and today I will choose to love myself even more because loving myself is the highest frequency that attracts, aligns, and connects everything. I believe in myself. I love myself. I love that mantra. I had to share it. Got it from this book, uh, Manifest Now, girl. What do you think? I think it is so perfect, especially given our topic of today and discussing trauma bonds and just how important self-love is I know you and I talked in our one of our previous episodes about just the concept of, you know, choosing yourself, betting yes. on yourself, loving yourself, and that always being okay. So I think that that is, oh, I love it. I do too. And I just, um, for a lot of, a long time, I just always looked around and tried to push myself to be a better person. I want to make sure that I continue to push myself to just be a better um I want to be better by loving on myself even more. Uh, Of course, we talk about self-love, but do I uh, love everything about me? Because how can we get into a relationship with somebody and we we haven't even accepted ourselves for our flaws or our shortcomings? We haven't even embraced the things about ourselves that we kind of don't like, but we expect somebody to love us and love those flaws. Um, And it seems a little backwards. Absolutely. And you know, self-love too, isn't just saying, oh, I love me, I love myself, right? Mm -hmm. But also focusing on, okay, a form of self-love is making sure, you know, we're getting, you know, proper nutrition. Yeah. Sleeping well, exercising, like having those good people around you, you know, having that positivity, those types of vibes and stuff like that. That's all a form of self-love as well, too. Um, so it's not just, oh, I love myself. That's enough, right? Right. It's so much more. It's multifaceted. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to encourage all of our listeners to just really uh, push yourself to love yourself. Because like we said last week, you can't lose. You can't lose out on anything when you choose yourself. And most importantly, um, just want to make sure that we highlight um, the opportunity to connect the dots why we do the things we do, why we um, interact with people the way we interact with them. And so like, um, if you have low self-esteem, maybe that's gonna manifest in your relationships. 
And so that's why this podcast exists. We want to restore people. We want to make sure we validate people and make sure that we give people tools and resources so they can pick themselves up when they're confronted with challenges in life and they're able to just kind of navigate and get through things in a much easier way. Nobody has all the answers. Nobody is as perfect, but we can all get through this together if we help each other and share resources. So um, I'm really excited about this week's episode. Me too. It's going to be a good one. Yep. This week, we have Dr. Nicole Silk and Dr. Vivian Stovall, graduates of Midwestern University's Clinical Psychology Program. Dr. Silk's specialties include trauma, abuse, domestic violence, depression, anxiety, LGBTQ concerns, and neuropsychological testing. Dr. Stobel's specialties include trauma and abuse, depression, anxiety, grief and loss, and ADHD and learning disability testing. Both are currently practicing in Las Vegas, Nevada. Welcome, ladies. We are so excited to have the both of you. Thank you. I'm so glad y'all are able to jump on. Uh, Both are great friends of mine and I've learned so much from them. And it's just been um, just a beautiful journey watching you all uh, make some powerful moves within the industry. And uh, I just thought it would be such a gift to our listeners to have you on and and, um, share your expertise. So I want to make sure we thank you for your time and um, for allowing the potential candidate to share your wisdom. You're welcome. Yes. Happy to be here. Yes. So, okay. (laughs) This topic, this week's topic, of course, is on trauma bonds. And this is a pretty intense subject because many of us have trauma bonds and we don't even acknowledge that they're there. We don't even recognize that they exist um, until we're kind of wrapped up into a situation. And so we're going to explore that and kind of pick your brains, ladies, if that's ladies, if that's okay. Yes, Yes, absolutely. Okay, cool. So talk to us. What, what is a trauma bond? Well, it's an emotional attachment that develops out of the relationship between an abuser and a survivor. And the sticking point is the intermittent reinforcement that goes on. Hmm. I'll give you an example. Let's say, you're in an abusive relationship and your partner hits you and then says, I'll never do it again. They're very apologetic. And they even show you that might gaslight you and they might even show you that they're going to change or get help or they'll never do it again. And so you get into a honeymoon phase and the survivor in the situation starts to feel good all over again. Neurotransmitters in their brain start to fire and they start to feel like, this is going to get better. And they develop some sense of hope until the cycle repeats itself. Hmm. So what happens is the survivor will tend to try to do and say things to increase the love, care, and attention from the abuser and to decrease the abuse. But because they tend to take it on themselves, the abuser never gets the chance to actually, well, I don't wanna say never gets the chance, they choose not to do anything about it. Hmm. And I'm sorry, what was that, Tim? No, I was saying, wow. That's really, wow. Yes, it's it's pretty deep. And then the abuse will, 
did you want to jump in, Dr. Sill? Yes. Um, and so I think a really part, a powerful and the most powerful part of, of this is the uh, intermittent reinforcement, which is the strongest motivator for um, behavior in that respect. And so if there is this intermittent expression of love and affection and kind of speaking to Dr. Stovall's um, point about the honeymoon phase, that is going to be incredibly challenging to break from that because it intermittent by nature, it's unpredictable. But even speak Mm -hmm. to the um, abusive part too. You don't know when it's coming. Yes, there's a cycle of abuse, but that can be, that can, that can range and that can look very different. And so I think that is the, the key component of that. Um, when it comes to a trauma bond and then you know if it goes as far as stockholm syndrome because it's mm-hmm. not always romantic relationships it can be someone who's sex trafficked who is being held captive it can be between parent and child so or even siblings or a boss mm-hmm. um this can really manifest in many situations but classically it's really in romantic relationships between two partners yes so the question I have is, does it always, does, do trauma bonds only exist if there is some type of abuse going on? Is it possible for trauma bonds to exist without there being some type of physical, emotional abuse, or does that always have to be present? Um, not necessarily, necessarily physical, but there has to be some level of abuse, whether okay. Manipulation or mm-hmm. um, emotional abuse, neglect. Um, neglect mm-hmm. So it doesn't always need to involve hitting or any type of physical expression of abuse, but it is abusive in nature. Yes. Mm. And that's so, really created out of a power difference mm-hmm. that's there, where the abuser feels like they, you know, are above mm-hmm. the survivor and it creates this dependent relationship. And so that's really a powerful piece of the manipulation, mm-hmm. the gaslighting. Right. Right. Come dependent on that person for your sense of well-being and worth. Wow. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's really, really hard to leave those. And unfortunately, people tend to repeat those patterns in other relationships as well, because they start to see themselves as less than. Mm-hmm. They start to feel like that's what they deserve in a relationship. So they might seek that out. They might um, take the blame for certain things like that. So just a few examples. And they might even lack the awareness of what a healthy boundary looks like. Of mm-hmm. And things of that nature. If they grew up watching their parents, you know, name call or mm-hmm. right. um, something that was normalized, unfortunately, then that can, I mean, it, for them, what he calls me stupid all the time isn't that big of a deal to someone in that situation or with that kind of history. But mm-hmm. name calling is a form of emotional abuse and that can, you know, range in severity as well. Mm-hmm. And so it can, it it's not always so glaring and it can be kind of quiet or more insidious. Mm-hmm. So that's what gets people in trouble. Well, he just called me stupid this one time when he was. Right. And then again, if there's not appropriate. Um, repair after an incident like that because just because something happens one time if it is not something physical doesn't mean that that it, the person is doomed to continue to experience that but it's about how it's addressed after the fact um and that and in a trauma bond situation it's not going to be addressed correctly otherwise it wouldn't be a traumatic relationship and this can often look a lot like narcissism narcissism is a big big component of trauma bonding uh, just speaking to a doctor Stovall had to say in terms of that superiority and then right. doesn't feel good about themselves or that they're enough or that they need this other person etc mm-hmm. one of the things that i like the two ladies mentioned was the fact of you know someone who maybe 
grew up in a household where there is name calling going on and then them perpetuating that in their own intimate relationship later on in life and thinking that that's normal and mm. that's what people do. Um, and then it's like, oh, well, this is just, you know, how I was raised and how my family does things, but mm-hmm. not really noticing, okay, maybe this is maladaptive behavior mm-hmm. and fixing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. I was going to ask too, so I, you guys have definitely like let us know what tra- trauma bonding looks like. If you recognize that you're in a trauma bond or you're a person that, like you say, continues to find themselves, you know, trapped in this situation, um, you mentioned setting boundaries. Can trauma bonds be fixed? If so, how can they be per- repaired? Um, well, speaking to romantic situations, uh, I would say that once it passes or crosses that line, that it's you should just walk away from it. Um, at, at that point, I think that too much has been done, um, especially depending if things have crossed physical lines. Mm-hmm. Um, if this is between parent and child, um, and you're able to recognize that and you want to continue a relationship with that parent yeah. because they are your parent and that's permanent, the, the boundaries have to be incredibly clear and yes. incredibly firm yes. um, and more than likely a great deal of distance, whether that's physical distance, emotional distance from that parent, um, because it has to be that way. Because people who are narcissistic often don't look at their stuff because their egos are too, too weak to do so. And so that's yes. the of narcissism. And so it's really about the survivor in the situation to establish those firm boundaries and to stick by them and know that they are absolutely worthy of those boundaries and they aren't doing anything wrong or worth feeling guilty for um and so on but when it comes to friendships or romantic relationships i mean i would stand in the the opinion that you should just walk away from it and fixing it um is probably unrealistic and um, I just don't think a good idea because it also then reinforces to that abuser exactly. that that it's okay. Um, so, do you have anything to add to that, Doc? No, I, I agree with um, with healthy boundaries. I agree that it's really really tough to set those if you've never experienced those in your life. Mm-hmm. Right? That dependence piece that we were talking about earlier. You feel like if I set this, I am going to lose out on something. And sometimes you do have to look at, okay, I'm setting this boundary. This is the Mm -hmm. consequence. Mm -hmm. Maybe I need to do something different or now I need to for my supports. And that can be very, very tough Mm -hmm. for somebody who doesn't have support. Mm -hmm. But I always tell patients that at some point you have to look in the mirror and say, I love myself enough to leave this situation. Come on. So when you start to develop that self-love, you start to understand what you deserve and then setting boundaries becomes easier. And then you start to attract those individuals in your life. Mm -hmm. And even when other people, because you can't control others, even when unhealthy people come into your life, you're able to cut that off because it's not, it's, you're no longer looking at it as a reflection of you. This is something I don't need to have in my life. So it can be very, very difficult for people to set and maintain those boundaries, but you're going to be better for it and healthy. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. It's very painful to walk away from someone um, who is abusive in that way with a 
uh, within a trauma bond. It's one of the hardest things I think a patient or just a person can can go through in that regard. And it takes a very, very, very long time. They'll often go back and forth. What is it, uh, Doc, seven or eight times before yes, they actually leave? Yes. Um, you know, there'll they'll be a breakup or they move out or whatever, and then they'll go back seven or eight times before it's actually permanent. That's how powerful that intermittent reinforcement is. Even when hmm. you want to, or they're in treatment, still even as a provider, I expect that if I have a new patient and they're in that session or in, in that kind of situation, that um, it's going to be a, a back and forth quite a bit. And that's just part of the process and that's mm -hmm. okay. Um, but it's it's incredibly challenging um, because of just the manipulation that's involved with someone who's narcissistic in that way. Yes. And do you think too, I know, you know, within the context of a domestic violence situation, there's typically a lot of like isolation, you mm -hmm. know, um, yep. restricting resources, those types of things. And I'm sure that probably contributes too, because if somebody is trying to leave that situation, Absolutely. and they have no access to funds how are they then going to maybe get a hotel or if they don't have a car or they've been restricted from driving how are they then going to re safely get themselves to where they need to go right. Yes. yes. And so those are very legitimate concerns. And if you're working with a patient who's in that situation, it's about finding them some resources. Yeah. Um, right. Arizona, Tools and resources. Tools and resources, exactly. <laughs> Arizona had a woman's shelter that was hidden. It was like deep yes. in this neighborhood. It wasn't marked. And um, it was a I mean, women who had experienced very, very horrific things um, in that respect. So it, it takes a lot. It takes a lot of planning um, and making sure that people are safe and they're going about it in the safest way humanly possible. So it's it's very challenging. You make a good point on that, Jess, with the kind of external things, not just the psychological or emotional component, but right. logistical mm -hmm. that come up. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to uh, really quickly you know, see if you guys can touch on boundaries, what boundaries look like, how to set appropriate boundaries for yourself. Um, what are some advice you've given your patients about setting those boundaries so that you can prevent yourself from bonding in a way that, you know, with, with people that hurt you? Um, well, I, I really start with what is when, when you two are in an argument, what does that look like? Or talk to me about what really hurts you in your relationship and getting an idea of what they're experiencing. But a lot of it is, I mean, just very simple stuff. You don't need, you can express anger without being abusive. You don't need to put someone down. You don't need to name call. And if those things occur in your relationship, if you have a healthy partner that just happens to step out of line uh, during one argument, they will be receptive to that boundary setting and saying, mm -hmm. you know, so-and-so, I don't appreciate being called names that can't happen again and how that person responds um, is data. Either way, it's data. It's either positive or it's mm -hmm. negative. Either if they're like, well, I was just mad or that's how I am. Huge red mm -hmm. Someone should be able to say, I'm sorry, that was out of line. I will do my best moving forward and, and all of that. And so I just, and, and it really comes from, and when it comes to the boundary setting, I don't even necessarily focus so much on the language per se, unless they really feel like they don't have it, but it's about feeling worthy of setting set boundaries. Yes. More of that, it's more of like, well, I, I do feel stupid sometimes, and he calls me stupid. So it's this confirmation bias of what someone already right. feels themselves mm -hmm. and so it's i work prime a lot of it is um having them build themselves up yes and feeling and i'm like it's okay even if your voice is shaking even if you're trembling inside it's okay to still say that because 
what you allow will continue. And if you don't do that, then this is going to continue or potentially escalate. And then also if right. people really don't have the language, people, it's either a lot of people struggle with either being passive or aggressive, and they have a hard time with that assertive piece, that middle ground. And so giving them some language and examples, big, a, a lot of times in sessions is really helpful. Some patients even write it down and like practice what you want to say before you say it, you know, look at mm -hmm. say it out loud and remember that you are worthy. And that's where I, I focus. And that's my emphasis really with boundary setting um is there anything else that you want and to say actually i'm so glad that you said that as well because i go back to that self-love i mm -hmm. go there first and i mm -hmm. do, do exercises with my patients um i have them create first off a positive characteristics or accomplishments mm -hmm. list because it's very glaring to see how people aren't able to talk about themselves. Mm -hmm. They hear and say, oh, my friend is this, this, and this, and she's wonderful, da, da. But when, you're, when they're tasked to talk about themselves, mm -hmm. deer in headlights, and they'll say, yeah. I'm Wow. And mm -hmm. that just shows you how much they might be influenced by their surroundings because they can't even talk about themselves. So I typically will start there and we'll list off one or two and because usually characteristics are hard to identify. And so I add accomplishments because sometimes we can say, oh, I got this award in school or I got this feedback going through this program. And then we look at the feedback and then break those down into characteristics. Mm -hmm. So if you won this award in school for creative writing, what does that say about you? Mm -hmm. That says that you're creative, that you're open, that you explore, that you're curious. And these are all characteristics that people don't even recognize they have. Mm -hmm. So I typically will start there and have them start opening up a little bit. And another exercise that I'll do that kind of comes with it is what I call a dessert list. I like to eat. So I think <laughs> of it as a dessert list. What's on the menu? Okay. And so I treat it like that. What is on this menu that you want from other people? And I have... Oh, I like that. that yeah. And they get to set their own parameters. Mm -hmm. It's not somebody else's idea and then they just form it around it no this is strictly from what you want and from there they learn to uh assert that or put that out there in their relationships mm -hmm. and i will also often have them practice that in a relationship where they feel safe to right. and say this is what i deserve let me test this boundary so they can start to feel confident in themselves to do that so that's yes i mm -hmm. start just like dr silk said from a place of self-love first mm -hmm. And to add one more thing to that, the psychoeducation piece, I think is um, a huge component of as well, of actually getting to what does manipulation look like? Guilt oh, tripping, yes. stonewalling. Yes. yes. Gaslighting. Yep, gaslighting. Just all of those things that a lot of people, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, repeat that. I'm like, that person just gaslighted you. Mm -hmm. person is being manipulative in the way that they're saying it and they're like really and then people genuinely don't have that awareness for for one reason or another and so right. um, a lot of it is that psychoeducation piece of me really addressing and calling yes. out wait wait and that happens all the time hold up let's let's back yeah. up a minute and and they very much have no awareness and so that it's it's really sad and it's scary but dysfunctional relationships are so normalized and what you see among you know between your parents or your friends relationships and people don't work on themselves and they bring their crap into a relationship they have unresolved traumas they have issues with whatever and they don't address that and it 
gets projected all over their partner and they work through that in a very dysfunctional way in their relationships, even within friendships at times, depending on the severity of the pathology. And so I, I just wanted to add that psychoeducation piece as it pops up um, and as they start to explore that a little bit more. I love that. Amazing. I yes. absolutely love that. I know, like, you know, after getting divorced and kind of re-entering the dating scene, one of my favorite questions to ask on a first date was, what unresolved trauma do you have and what are you doing <laughs> yes. to address it? And the looks people would give me, and I'm like, oh, yeah, so I'm a social worker. And also, yeah, so do you have trauma? And oh, okay, you do. So do you have a therapist? Are you going to therapy? Do you need a list of therapists? You know right. what I mean? And it's like, okay, if you need a list of therapists, that was so great. Thank you so much for this dinner. And good luck to you. Like, but I love asking that question because I think it shows insight to not only where people have been, but where they are. Because it yes. is so often you hear oh well you know this is just how I am because you know my mom left me when I was two mm-hmm. and it's like oh, well yes. now you're 42 exactly so. yeah and you're still holding on to that baggage <laughs> right yes so I love that, that is so dope oh my goodness I'm so grateful that you all were able to jump on and and be a part of this week's episode I just want to um let all of our listeners know that we're going to continue this conversation because um you know, mental health matters. We want to make sure that we take accountability and we we are intentional with the relationships we build. But most importantly, like the doc said, we want to practice self-love and put ourselves first. Um, and that starts with healthy boundaries. And just like, I, I really love these activities, these tools and resources that you all suggest. Um, I, I think they're definitely going to be able to break some chains um, from people in their lives. Yes, absolutely. Yes. yes, we're happy to help and we were happy to join both of you ladies on yes. this. And trauma is yeah, something very uh, close to my heart in that respect. It is really what I primarily focus on in treatment. And so anything that we can do as professionals yes. to help and just give people a little bit of education or kind of plant a seed in some way to maybe just look and see what, what they're involved in because it can get better and they don't have to tolerate that. No one does. So we really appreciate being able to speak yes. on that. Thank you guys. Yeah, thank no, you. thank you. That's awesome. All right, girls. Well, I'll let you later then. Bye. Have fun the rest of your podcast. Bye, thank you. Bye. <laughs> Bye. 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 Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We really hope that it resonated with you the way that it resonated with me and Tiffany. Now that you've heard the episode, we encourage you to process, implement, and manifest. We'll talk to you next week.